Good evening. As we watch the events that are unfolding in Ukraine, one of the good things that happened is the talks were continuing and they hadn't made any movement. But we heard some reporting today that they have agreed to this open humanitarian corridors for the refugees that are fleeing. We hear over a million people have left. And perhaps Vladimir Putin would like that to happen. It makes it less crowded when you're attempting a takeover. Later on in the show, we're going to see how, how some churches here in our area are getting ready. We also have some news about that Russian military convoy that stalled just south of the capital and more information on the financial war that is being absolutely uh, just hurdle at Russia and how it's affected the entire global economy. Joining us to unpack this is Shuvaloy Majumdar, who is a former director of policy to Canada's foreign minister, foreign policy director at Monk and senior fellow at McDonald Laurier Institute. Shuv, how are you doing in these terrible Good to be times? With you. Good to be with you despite these terrible times. Yeah, nice answer. Thank you. And likewise, what are you hearing? We do have, we have to be so careful with what we're hearing about the events that are happening. And we do have some reports about that convoy. And we've seen the pictures of it. And it seemed to be stalled. And it's very, very long. Uh, Tonight, we have some breaking news that apparently Ukraine claims to have hit the military convoy. What do you know? Very little. I think I'm following this uh, particular development as closely as you are. And that was a, you know, 40 kilometer long convoy of material, weapons, individuals uh, working its way to try and encircle Kiev. Uh, We know the Russian military tactics around the big cities is to employ a siege mentality to uh, starve out the cities and eventually accomplish their conquest. So, um, you know, the Ukrainian forces have proven to be surprisingly heroic, resilient, uh, they certainly are waging a full front campaign across the Russian, uh, Russian invasion inside their borders uh, and, uh, and have, I think, been very effective at demoralizing uh, Russian soldiers and uh, discovering that the Russian military is in a fair bit of disarray in their planned invasion. We do have another kind of a war, which is the financial sanctions that have been implied, and we know that Canada's added even more. We're seeing the pressure up on the oligarchs and also the implementation, and we hear thanks a lot to Canadian efforts by Christopher Freeland of SWIFT. What do you make of this, Shove? How 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 much of a how much of a weapon is this financial aspect? Well, there's many dimensions to this big question. I mean, it's uh, in, inside Russia, the consequences are severe. Uh, we've just seen reports today that, you know, uh, enterprises like IKEA are now closing their presence in Russia. It's a consequence of uh, double-digit contraction of the Russian economy, uh, extreme capital control measures in Russia, for example, banning Russians from leaving the country with currency in their bags. Um, the central bank has, the Russian central bank has doubled its interest rates to nearly 20%. Uh, and it's it, it creating the worst economic crisis in Russia since the 1990s when ordinary Russians had to turn to the barter system, you'll recall, in um, trading goods to, to sustain their families. Uh, we expect that the sanctions that have hit Russia will hit ordinary Russians, uh, perhaps even in their payments from pensions. Uh, most Russians don't have huge savings to draw from or to draw upon. Uh, so you, you're definitely going to see and are seeing the beginning of a massive uh, degradation of the quality of life, not just on ordinary Russians, but also 
isolating the more influential ones that you mentioned, the oligarchs with their yachts and their uh, presence in Western real estate, downtown capital markets, et cetera. So it's a it's a, a nuclear option in the sense of how sanctions have been imposed on Russia with room to grow. As you know, 20% of the um, Russian banks were excluded out of the SWIFT messaging system. Mm-hmm. The SWIFT messaging system allows global transfer payments uh, digitally, uh, and, and, and you can continue to constrain capital flowing into and out of Russia uh, through that system. So inside Russia, it's had devastating consequences, and globally it'll have you know, consequences in a variety of different sectors. Yeah, it's going to affect our lives and and prices are going to go up. And we've been told to prepare inside Russia, though. We want it to have an effect and all sorts of I'm following this like you. I mean, even in the break here, we're hearing reports of those who say Vladimir Putin is really under pressure from inside Russia. It's causing an immense amount of stress on him and the country. Would you agree? I would. I would say that, you know, in the short term that he's He's going to have to do some crisis management to keep the Russian economy flowing. If he wanted to access over $600 billion in capital that exists outside of Russia, it's become very difficult for him to do that to sustain and fund his war, his invasion in Ukraine, his war machine. Um, and, uh, you know, from his elite advisors in the Duma to his oligarch friends, uh, beyond the typical dissident community, we are hearing massive uh, rejection of uh, of, of Putin's overreach. We, we hear that he is becoming increasingly isolated in his government um, and that, you know, uh, with that comes a concern that he may grow more desperate. We are hearing a little bit of a silence. I mean, it's just been a cheering on as we hear around the world, sports and business and all sorts of of parts of our economy, world economy, jumping in there and doing their part, one after the other after the other. It's just absolutely dizzying. But we have heard some silence from companies, from Chinese companies. What does that say, Shiv? Well, on the critical things, that Russia's economy is largely comprised on exports of oil and gas, metals and grains. And what we know that the Chinese have done prior to the invasion is secure a 30-year deal for a new gas pipeline from Russia, uh, which will soften and dampen the impact of international sanctions to Russian economics. Uh, We've also seen in the last few days, uh, the Chinese have lifted restrictions for wheat imports, um, which will also soften the impact of global sanctions on Russia. And finally, Chinese technology companies, Alibaba, TikTok, all all the others, they're not... um, they're not saying much these days. They're, they're, they're being a bit quiet and I think staying off the grid. The main issue here is the impact on commodities, whether it's all of the mining materials, wheat, oil and gas that I've described earlier. Um, we're seeing massive inflationary pressures on global markets on this, um, meaning the price of everything is going to go up. Uh, and it's something that will hit checkbooks and pocketbooks of ordinary people around the world in a major way. And it's going to catalyze a a deeper restructuring of the global economy, um, creating a a more integrated block between China, which has largely turned Russia into a gas station and into a client state, um, and uh, one in which the Western world needs to come to terms on how to establish security around things like energy supply chains, agricultural supply chains, 
and other critical needs. Shiv, um, we have the foreign ministers meeting that is going to happen tomorrow in Brussels, I believe. And I know that you were tweeting with some suggestions. Canada every day has been upping the ante. What else should they do? How important is this meeting and what can that our foreign minister, Melanie Jolie, do? Listen, there's three things. I mean, the first and most urgent issue is to support Ukrainians in defending their territorial sovereignty on the ground and in the air. And I think there are creative solutions, one proposed by Eugene Cholich recently, on how Western air force and uh, air systems can be supplied to Ukrainians under Ukrainian mandate and command uh, to defend their own territorial integrity and achieve air superiority. Uh, Minister Jolie, I think, has an opportunity to engage the NATO foreign ministers around an international energy security pact. Washington is asking dictator oil to increase their flow of reserves to dampen pressure. They're pushing a deal, a nuclear Iran deal, a deal with Iran, so that Iranian energy can, apply, can flow to global markets and soften the, the, the impact of rising oil prices, when really the solution has always been here in Canada, which has the capacity to supply not just the United States and Europe, but also Asia for the long term. And as part of an energy security pact that exists within NATO among, among allies, uh, I think we can deal a body blow around what kind of um, subversion Russia has been using with their own energy uh, predatory practices. And then finally, um, harden NATO's borders. We're seeing you know, a, an historic increase of troops and planes being placed in Baltic nations who palpably are concerned about the threat of Russian invasion, correctly so, because... There's no reason to believe that Vladimir Putin's ambition to restore the Russian imperium will end in Ukraine. It will carry on until he gets everything he wants. Um, and part of that is for us to be very clear-eyed about the pact that Russia and China have made. Uh, it's clearly articulating their interests in the, in the Arctic, our Canadian Arctic, one which I think NATO would be best served to consider as an Arctic flank uh, and to devote the resources and attention uh, in its defense. All right. I'm out of time, but I cannot let this go. Uh, you are like others, um, throwing in a line that is so meaningful that Vladimir Putin may not stop in Ukraine and that it's gone from a may until um, and turned into something else, that we're surmising that this is just the beginning. Is that a reality here that we all have to face? My great concern is that from 2014 onward, Arlene, in so many ways, we've been negotiating around different forms of appeasement, whether it was well-intentioned or otherwise. Um, nobody has really accomplished a formula for actual deterrence. Nobody's accomplished a formula for how to actually end Vladimir Putin's, uh, Putin's uh, dictatorial ambitions. And until we get serious about the threat, not just from the Kremlin, but also in their allied partnership with Beijing, uh, I fear that the Western alliance is not going to be able to find ways to deal with the source of the problem. Bullies do not contain themselves. Um, they have to be confronted. They have imposed a war on Europe. It is already upon us. And it's about time we wake up, wake up to that reality so that we can actually address the threat for what it is. Shivaloi Majundar, thank you so much for joining us. I think. Thank you kindly. All right. Thank you. you. Have a, thank you. Okay. Good night and have a, a great a great weekend. Chivaloy is a senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute. He's also the former director of a policy to Canada's foreign minister. So it's great to have his perspective and foreign policy director at Monk. And you'll hear that. We heard it already tonight in The Night is Young.
that this is just perhaps the beginning, and that was and that was the pessimist view not so long ago. It might be the realist view tonight. We're going to face it. We're going to take a break. Up next, Global Top Talkers for Alex Pearson tonight. I'm Arlene Bynan, On Point.